the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Good morning, everybody. This is Tim Linville at Construction Employers Association here with me in the studio. We have again Glenn Shoemake. Good morning. Good morning again, Tim. And we have our guest today, Cordell Stokes. Good morning, Cordell. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Glenn. Good to see you again. Same here. We're recording this on November 18th. We'll probably post it in a few days, but um, it's a Monday morning, kind of regrouping. Um, What's happening with you, Cordell? Well, obviously, we're reeling after a great win against Pittsburgh. We're reeling after our win. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's an odd way to say it, isn't it? It's true, though. But um, glad to see the progress that they're making. Just unfortunate what transpired, but I think we'll get through it. Yeah. But things are going well. It's good to be here. The holiday season is embarking upon us. Yeah, and you're a native Clevelander? Yes, sir. Where'd you grow up? In um, Over in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And I'm over by the uh, Kinsman area, but I went to Shaker Heights. There is a lot of debate about that. Oh, yeah. Were you Woodhill or were you Shaker? Oh, yeah. Well, Wood, well that's, oh, I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, first of all, I represented Woodhill in a lot of the basketball tournaments. Back then, we had Jim Jones used to put on a lot of the tournaments over at the park. And I just happened to be recruited by many of the OGs, as we would say, Many of them primarily graduated very early from John Adams, like with Clinton Smith and all those guys. And so I just played with them through the years. And and then, you know, one thing led to another. Every time we would play the tournaments, I would say I represent Whittier. There's also a debate about uh, your basketball abilities among many people <laughs> that I've come in contact with, Cordell. <laughs> hey, there's no question about it. <laughs> Proven track record. Proven track record. I always say I can go pull the files. <laughs> so, Tim, there's a story uh, that I've heard about Cordell, uh, who was a neighbor of a uh, football player, right? Greg Browns Pruitt. football player. Just talked to him yesterday about this incident. Who's that? Greg Pruitt. Okay. And... Um, Cordell was a, uh, I don't know, Cordell, how old you are young, young 10? Well, at that time, because Cleo Miller used to stay with um, Greg Pruitt during the season. Another so, Browns football another player. Another Browns player. And um, as a matter of fact, what we would do is he, would, he was right across the street on Larchmere at the time. And I would go over there in order to compete against him because uh, <laughs> he played basketball in the back. And uh, we were, you know, very close. And so one thing, as you learn later, I ended up being able to win. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, Tim, when you go over there when you're 10 and they school you and you come back when you're 18 and knock on the door and say, I'm ready to take you on now, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Good people. They've been mentors of mine a long time. So you knew them when they were Browns players or after or oh, before? Yeah. No, while they were Browns players. Mm-hmm. Cool. Matter of fact, just spoke with both Cleo and Greg Pruitt yesterday. Wanted to get their take on what, what transpired mm-hmm. with Miles Ma- Garrett. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so from there, very good people. And then, of course, we work in the community together, just like right. with you gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very active. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we could get into that a little bit. Sure. But uh, it's not really a sports show. Understood. <laughs> Understood. And not knowing what they said, I'm hesitant to put them out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we would, I would never share that. Yeah, yeah. But. It, it was good to just get a take from true former Hall of Fame. I mean, well, Greg Pruitt, if you look at the numbers, I think he's in a 
position that need that there needs to be some talk about his being able to wear a gold jacket one day. Mm-hmm. So wanted to talk to you a little bit. We saw each other at an association event a few weeks ago, and thought it'd be great to have you on the podcast just because of our history together. And um, you and CEA started working together, what, six, seven years ago? Maybe roughly around at that time, mm-hmm. yes. Thanks to the two of you and your vision. Well, appreciate it. Um, and, and some of the things we've done together are uh, centered around outreach to, to um, worker candidates, diverse worker candidates into the industry, as well as uh, connecting small businesses, minority-owned businesses, to the, uh, the contractors in the community here. Um, what do you see as most valuable with your experience with us? Well, as we have spoken in the past, the union contracting industry and the trades have had its issues over the years. I want to commend your leadership, Tim and Glenn, and your board and CEA as a whole for transforming toward trying to make that right and make it much more inclusionary. Um, Of course, everything we did in our outreach activities were not designated to just diversity. No. But about trying to get people to come into the industry in order to try and enhance um, an aging workforce. Correct? Right. Right. So... I think that over the stages where you are today, especially I shared with Glenn not too long ago, I love seeing your display of advertisements and sponsorship on um, on the news channels for the football games, mm-hmm. the building block segment. And I think that that's very progressive. Um, and I think it's evolving. It's an evolution from where the things that you just mentioned earlier that I was aware of and became a part of. So I think that the ability to take your vision as a collective with your board in order to engage the various community partners, such as the Urban League, the Minority Business Assistance Center, which comes under the Department of DSA with Mm -hmm. the state Mm -hmm. uh, of who I used to consult for through the Urban League. So I think that um, people out here have seen the benefit, are living the benefit, of these outreach programs, um, some of the candidates we spoke about earlier right. that I'm sure you'll bring up, um, and then to see the engagement of the contractors like the De Geronimo's, the um, uh, Bob Dow Rimple, and, and many others. Mm-hmm. It's exciting because we need that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is, um, you know, many people talk about in our industry the, the, the level and strength of relationships that do matter and think when you get to know people and understand um, their interest and opportunities or what's required, I mean, I think it, it creates a different light, a different perspective, right? So if you don't know, if you're not involved, you don't understand. True. And so it's easier from the outside to have an opinion or view that may not be appropriate, may not be right. And so I think what we've tried to do over the years, uh, CEA, is, is share information uh, that is correct, that is proper to uh, engage and do some additional outreach where needed right into various communities uh, throughout greater Cleveland, throughout Cuyahoga County. Um, and so some of that has been around diversity and inclusion and some of that has just been general workforce opportunities. And, you know, just trying to let people know if you want to be in a pick a trade, here's the process. It may not be a secret, but it may not be known or readily available 
right? You just think that you can show up at a work site and apply for a job and you'll get on. Um, but our ability to share that in multimedia as we're doing in the Browns games, uh, to websites, to materials and brochures, to some of the outreach efforts, which we've helped coordinate uh, in many cases with support of public officials uh, in various communities, but also always in partnership with contractors and to the extent we could with apprenticeship training coordinators from the unions to help them both have connection and outreach, understand where the community is, but equally as important to understand for the community to understand how to get connected, right? Um, and that they're, you know, it's not a, a, a secret society. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> you know, that there, there may be to the extent that the industry sometimes is characterized as a good old boys industry or uh, the FBI is the only way you get in, right? It's, there may be a part of the, that, but that's not, always the case what's what's fbi mean friends <laughs> um friends family brothers family and brothers in-laws and family brothers and in-laws right okay yeah right. and there's another ethnic equation which i won't say on air associated yeah. with fbi as well okay. but but and it's meant to be in a positive right so it's really through the relationships you know someone mm-hmm. be it a neighbor friends uh, and family yeah exactly or a neighbor right if you if you see a neighbor going to work every day as a plumber or carpenter, you have a little bit more understanding and awareness of what that is. Just the same with a policeman or a postman. Mm-hmm. And you have somebody there to, to hold your hand and guide you through the process. Absolutely. Somebody that's been through it, which, uh, you know, I think that's, that's half of our challenge is to have people uh, guided through the process because there's too many stopping off points that you could get stalled or you know you don't know what the next step is or even if you've heard what the next step is you don't have anybody to hold your hand exactly get there right um so yeah to to cordell's uh, earlier point that is what we're working on right now is uh sort of centralizing an effort mm-hmm. um aimed at holding people's hands so to speak through the process of getting into apprenticeship plan uh programs whether that's you know, remediation on your math or remediation on your reading um, well, if somebody's almost there but not quite for the electrician's exam, you know, helping them get there. Um, other exams, other trades have uh, more stringent requirements than um, maybe, you know, the, 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 the laborers would. Maybe they have the easiest requirements to get in in terms of proficiency levels. But um, if somebody's just almost on the cusp, we want to get them there. And not just do it in a way that's um, off the cuff, you know, maybe something in the past, we've done efforts with the Urban League, we've done efforts with the Spanish American Committee, Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and so forth. Towards Tri- employment. Towards mm-hmm. employment, Tri-C, Max Hayes. We would like to uh, centralize an effort that's coordinated with all the, all the community groups, central coordination and processing of data and tracking people so that we know if, if you were interested two weeks ago because you came to an outreach event at uh, Tri-C, then we know that... Uh, we can contact you because you're interested in the industry. And, and uh, if there's an event going on or an opportunity to get into a pre-apprenticeship program, we'll let you know. So that's, that's sort of one of the, one of the things we're working on. And also to cover the entirety of greater Cleveland, um, because there's so many people I think that don't even need remediation that are ready to work right now that just need to be guided into the system, so to speak. So, Cordell, when we started our efforts, we primarily were looking at city of Cleveland, right, in support of residency and 
some of the owner interest and requirements in terms of employment of city of Cleveland residents. But the other aspect that we evolved to was those first ring suburbs, right? From Parma to Lakewood to Euclid to Maple Heights, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where I think we might find a cadre of people, Tim, as you're describing, who are ready, willing, and able, who don't need a remediation, they just need the information and the uh, pointed in the right direction or connected to the right opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, what's your experience in what we were working on opportunities in construction as we uh, considered it? I mean, what what's your perspective of how that process went? Well, I think, first of all, going back to the history of the industry, you're not going to eradicate discrimination. And some of the things that continue to be a legacy of um, anti-inclusion, However, the efforts that you all have put forward, in particular when we started the Work Now program, the hand-holding that you're talking about, yes, typically what you would do to go after, to get into a trade is you have the testing trades, right? Electrical, plumbing, you have to have a certain math aptitude, then you're also ranked. Um, And then that dictates when you may have an opportunity or not. That inhibits and prohibits uh, many people's uh, ability to get into a demand industry of this nature, where you're talking about um, um, viable pensions, benefits, great wages that you'll never make less than what you were hired on, and you could always. Then, and more importantly, you also get into your apprenticeship, right? And you come away with a skill to become a journeyman. Also, avails you that if I'm a journeyman here as an electrician, and I want to get to some warm weather, I can take the wife and actually go out to San Diego or wherever else, and be able to transfer, right? And you have a brotherhood. The work now, what I saw was so significant, was that, number one, when you we had to have those math tests, reading tests, is that we had people who have been out of school for some time. And so without the support system, these people might not have been able to be successful in entering employment in the sector. Mm -hmm. So that was visionary. And I know that's something Glenn and I had spent probably what, because I had to, I I lost my my phone, uh, went dead. (laughs) We had spent maybe four or five hours trying Mm -hmm. to discuss how this might be um, a program to work out. Um, The drug testing we did, um, the the early morning and working in collaboration with the uh, industry drug testing entity, you have people that obviously failed those tests and they stop, you know, they, they stop themselves in their track. But the thing that we saw that was such a benefit was those that ended up making it through. And then the successful employment taking in consideration, like my stepson took me two years to get him, but he had some other things to get together and now he's a, a career employee with one of our contractors, and they didn't even want him to go into the union trades. What's he doing with doing, them then? You know, I'm not going to say what he's doing, but I know <laughs> whatever he's doing, he's, he's, he's getting ready to get married, and he's very comfortable. He took his first trip to Las Vegas, he and his wife. But the thing is that they're able to sustain themselves, mm-hmm. and not just sustain themselves, but sustain themselves comfortably. Mm-hmm. And knowing that he has a career, has a great rep, uh, rapport with the D. Geronimo's, uh, who I give a lot of credit to and who has worked extensively with us to do outreach in, in the past. 
But outside of the Work Now construction initiative, that was primarily driven through the Urban League as a hosting site, but also in collaboration with Towards Employment. And um, I think we had another agency that we were pulling from. El Barrio. El Barrio, that's right. So it was very collaborative, hosted through the Urban League, able to get successful number of um, candidates into the industry. But the thing that I really enjoyed was when you came back to me and said you all wanted to partner with the elected officials in order to come into their communities. And we saw the fluctuation. Um, I think that, number one, getting the partnership with the elected official to come into their community, because that way we're trying to, you know, build blocks around white, black, Hispanic. We worked in all the areas. The fluctuation in attendance, we can't control, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, we, we put out flyers. We market every way we can. The elected official puts it out to their constituency in whatever types of way. But the ones that came, even in our smaller crowds, you could see the benefit, especially the one we did with uh, Councilman Harris, where right. when we did it before in the, uh, in the St. Clair area with um, with uh, Councilman Palenzik and Harrison mm-hmm. and others, we had a great attendance. But the one we did down in his lower sector, down on 55th, we had a few people show, um, but it was probably, it could stand up with all the other events right. just because of the substance and the discussion between the reporters and the candidates. Don't know whatever transpired with them. But I think that these are all very visionary of what you all are trying to do. And it count, counters anyone saying that you're not trying to do the right thing. Mm. Nobody's perfect. But all around this country, all my travels, and I deal with elected officials all around uh, the country mm. and, and um, community groups, and this is something that people are trying to do. And um, and you guys have been very visionary. And I told you in Las Vegas, I had maybe a couple of years ago, they wanted to know what we were doing here. Sure. And sure. I sat down, talked with the people in the trades out there. Well, there have been people, Cordell, that have contacted both of us from Columbus and Toledo, mm-hmm. wanting to know if we could take the opportunities of construction on the road, right? So we could help them communicate with their constituents around opportunities and projects so that they could also get connected. We don't have to, I don't have the bandwidth from a CA standpoint to, mm-hmm. you know, do that, but certainly the understanding of what we're doing is important and the opportunities that we're presenting. As you talked about elected officials, the other part of that was the relationships to help cement the importance of prevailing wage among elected officials. And so projects that are going to happen in their neighborhoods and inner wards that will allow a candidate not just to have a job, right, temporarily, but to really have a career that's a good paying career, which is a prevailing wage type, you know, union based wage employment career. Um, that I thought that relationship was also very important with them for that matter as well from a industry and a CEA standpoint. Right, because you're on the government relations side of it too. Yes. You're, you're participating in the bargaining and what have you. And Tim, I know from your leadership, I do I do just want to say Glenn has gone above and beyond his position to really handheld, handhold some individuals trying to get into the industry or contractors in particular. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I think we're going to have a call after this with a contractor faced an issue and uh, one of our suburban mayors called me over the weekend to ask me if I would help her constituent. 
Um, and so I called on Glenn, and so we'll follow up with that individual. Maybe we'll be able to get him to be a member of CEA and um, go from there. Great. So county councilwoman Yvonne Conwell just called me to see what, where we were with outreach activities <laughs> for 2020. And, you know, so, I mean, it's on there. Whether we do it or not, the point is um, they've enjoyed it. We've done it with Mayor Jackson and many others. Mm. And, um, and we've seen the benefits. What would you say would be the standout success stories from those efforts? Uh, what's our girl's name from um, Work Now? Work Now. Lauren Benton. Lauren Benton. Probably only because she's really the one that's really rose. Well, she's getting highlighted, mm-hmm. right? So she has a little bit more publicity. Can't say about the others. I know um, Bob Dalrymple did share with me at the Clan Bank. Um, Robert Cheney. Robert Cheney and his progress. But I, I think that's what you're getting. Well, what's you know? What's Lauren's uh, story? I'll, I'll defer to Glenn <laughs> on that one. So Lauren went through the very first Work Now class uh, with the Urban League, uh, I guess, 2015. Mm-hmm. And um, North Coast Concrete hired three individuals. Lauren was one. Robert Cheney is one. And um, Brandon... From get Brandon's name, uh, but Brandon Freeman. Freeman, right, Freeman. right. So they all worked for North Coast for Brandon probably after through the end of the year, and he's a young man and said, "This is young man's work." He's thirty five, right? And so he's like, "This is young man's work." So he bowed out to do something else. But Lauren and Robert, uh, are, uh, Robert is still with North Coast uh, three and a half years later. Uh, he and Lauren both went into the carpentry side of the industry of the business and. Um, I know for a fact, Lauren, I think this week is at the Carpenters Hall, maybe taking her last class that she needed before she could become a um, journey person. Mm-hmm. Um, she's uh, She came to the CAA event a few weeks ago. Um, she comes out to talk to other uh, Work Now classes and shares her experience of what it's like. She's been part of the uh, Sisters in a Brotherhood program that the Carpenters have. She's sure. been out to Vegas and regional meetings, you know, on behalf of the carpenters engaging, uh, the training director, Dan Sustin gives, uh, has given Lauren very high remarks and regards. We're actually taping her for one of the build Ohio videos, uh, this week, I think Great. as well. Um, she also, uh, is taking a Dale Carnegie course, uh, through our efforts, um, that she's doing on her own time. And when we first met Lauren, I mean, she came in with fingernails and all dressed up and, (laughs) you know, stereotypically, right. You say, ah, I don't know if she's going to make it, but you know, just, you can't judge a book by its cover and everybody deserves to stand on their own merit and rights. And she's, uh, uh, been very, uh, active and involved in our industry and helping to bring others along, share the story. But even in her craft, um, has had a, a number of good opportunities and she's worked on a couple of, um, uh, utility plants when they're shut downs where you work, you know, seven days, 12 hours and, sure. you know, both in Perry and out in Philadelphia. So she's had that experience. She's worked on a number of projects, uh, again, from a North Coast Concrete to interior to healthcare. So she's had a good overall uh, experience in her three and a half years or so of, of kind of being a uh, uh, apprentice. And so um, was willing to engage and be responsive and show up on time. And so um, she probably is one of the success stories. We could talk about a Marche Gibbons, I believe, um, 
Yeah, I think she's with McTech. She was. She may still be. I'm not sure. I, but, I mean, she's another one. She kind of went to 860, uh, mm-hmm. you know, heavy highway labor, uh, but has had another probably three-year career. Um, Tim, as a matter of fact, I, I, I was remiss. Tim Jafarian mm-hmm. on the electrical side. And as a matter of fact, Tim told me maybe about a couple of weeks ago about another gentleman that came out of our group, but he's that gentleman started his own company and is doing very well. Tim now has his own, well, he hasn't officially established it, but he's doing electrical work. Mm-hmm. Great. So so there are a number of, you know, and so as we were discussing earlier, Cordell, it would be great to kind of uh, help get some of those stories, right, sure. fleshed out and, and share those in a much more robust way and talk to our video company, Tim, this morning about, Maybe there is an opportunity to tell stories, right, about some right. of those individuals and what they've done. Um, you know, Jamar Pace, who worked for Cook for a couple of years. Um, uh, there's Marche uh, Anderson, who's now with Precision, uh, came out of the Work Now program. So there's a number of individuals that we know that are with CEA members. And even as you talk to company owners, they appreciate the talent. Sure. Yeah. You've, you've had some experience personally in the industry, right? Oh, yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, it goes back to before the apprenticeships because uh, Mr. Libertor, through my father, they had a very good relationship. So, And who was he for the audience? Uh, local 310. So Labor's 310. Right. And then I also was with 860 mm-hmm. with Utilicon at the time. And so I've had quite a bit of experience. Um, I was probably about 17, 18, 19, 20 during the summer times and um, learned a lot because, as a matter of fact, at that time, I remember it was at the Bobcat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing a project up on Detroit somewhere, and they told me to jump on the Bobcat and go on down and do something. <laughs> I had to go get tools, you know, with the right. shovel on it. And I'm over there bouncing around, almost feeling like I'm almost about to fall over, you know, because the way it jumps around, no one taught me. You just you go get in there and do it. Um, at that time with Utilicon, we were doing the relining of the water lines, so we also did a lot of excavation work. Um, I worked for Donnelly's on parking lots a very short time, but I was doing the grinding mm-hmm. over at the Cleveland State Project. That almost took me out the game, being <laughs> on my knees all day. But everything else, so no, I did learn a lot, working the jackhammer, um, concrete work, things of that sort. And then, as, as I think we always tell people in the various programs and outreach programs that we do, you start riding around the city, and then you can start pointing out, oh, man, like the jail uh, downtown. Sure. And I was a part of the new jail that was probably, what, maybe 19, shoot, uh, maybe 92, somewhere around there. And uh, we put up the new jail um, attached to the Justice Center. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, something like that. You go up on Brainerd Road, did the excavation for that entire roadway from 271 over to Mayfield, uh, 105. So, I mean, there's a lot of places I've worked. And, and when I go across the street, I say, I remember I had to do every intersection. <laughs> I had to break it out the asphalt so we could line the temporary water lines through. Right, yeah. So it's all interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Cordell, you've also you've kind of talked about your work here in Cleveland, but you've also done some work outside of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um representing businesses and kind of being an advisor. What, what's Stokes and Associates? Is that 
CLC. CLC. The Stokes Consulting Group. Named after Carl Lewis and Cordell. Okay. So and, so uh, talk about Carl and Lewis a little bit, and then maybe then the kind of the consulting piece as well. Well, Carl, Carl Stokes was my father, first African-American elected as mayor of a major American city in 1967, originally ran in 65. At that time, it was two, two, they were two-year terms. Cleveland was the eighth largest city in the country and probably had a very robust, maybe top, top ten economies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louis Stokes became the first African-American congressman elected from Ohio, but more importantly, he was the one that was able to litigate and establish the 21st Congressional District Caucus, now represented by uh, Congresswoman Marsha Fudge, and the 11th, so that we could have a district that we could elect a minority to. So those are the background of those two. As it relates to the work outside of the community. So C, an L, and then a C. Mm-hmm. So it's... Carl, Carl, Lewis, Lewis and, and Cordell. Mm-hmm. And Lewis was your uncle. Right. And second father. Sure. both of them had custody of all of us mm-hmm. in their respective homes. Mm-hmm. So we grew up with two strong black men. Absolutely. In the home. There's also a story about you and your uh, staying out all night uh, trying to play football, right? Oh. Well, yeah, <laughs> now he didn't play right Well, we, over at Shaker, we made the playoffs. And, of course, they had the... Um, um, curfew that was standard but I was one of the players that you know I, I didn't always make it home at time but I knew I was going to play anyway so we ended up having um, we made the playoffs and we were playing St. Ed's and as a matter of fact former representative Brian Flannery was on that team and um, he and I are very good friends and uh, unfortunately he's going through some things health wise at this point but um, that evening, there was a party up on Kinsman, and everybody else was leaving. But there was a couple of us said, we want to continue. <laughs> and at that time, we walked everywhere. So I had to walk all the way back over toward Woodland from up on Kinsman. So there was like, you know, we would shake off people as we got over, you know, uh, Buckeye. A couple of people go there, Woodland, and then I get, get to my house. Well, when I got home, and it was freezing cold, snow everywhere. Came to the door and it was, it was double locked, so I only had one key for to enter in. So then there was a note, and the note said, "Go back to wherever you came from." <laughs> so we didn't have cell phones and all that at that time, right? So I had to walk all the way back over on to South Woodland to the to a good friend of mine, Greg Jackson. He was our star running back. So I got over there, knocked on the door, let me in. So I go home. Now, I'm not thinking about anything else other than I know I got to deal with my father later. So I end up going back to the house in the morning. My father was gone because the first day I looked and saw his car was gone. I said, that was good. (laughs) (laughs) Then my stepmother at the time, she said, Cordell, what did you do? And I said, she said, where were you? I said, I was out. I said, but I got locked out of the house. She said, your dad is pissed. I said, okay, well, I knew I'd have to deal with it, but I'll deal with it later. We had a game ahead of us. So we go up to the school, and as soon as I walk in the door, a couple of the guys said, hey, Coach Raymond and them, they want you in the office right away. So I said, okay. So I go in there. They said, I don't know if we can, I don't want to curse on here, but he, he used a few <laughs> words. <laughs> said, doggone it, Stokes. What did, 
you know, happened. He says, you were going to play, but your dad came up here this morning, told us he wants you to dress, be at the game, but you do not play. And so I knew that there might have been a little bit of a potential that if I made it to the game, that I might get in. Mm -hmm. He was standing right across at, in the stadium and just continued to look over, making sure that I didn't get in the game. So <laughs> the bad part about it is that they scored the touchdown. I was in 11th grade, so I was starting since 10th. Um, they scored the, the winning touchdown right where I would have been. So that didn't go well with the coaches. And um but I made bad check last the next year. <laughs> well you you bring it up everything, right? Right, right. right. Well that's the benefit of knowing you a little bit, I know, right? I know. Yeah, that was a big lesson. Well, but that's the lesson that even in our industry, right? Oh yeah. Show absolutely. up on time, right? You instill that yeah. in, you know, some of the efforts with some of the work now candidates of, you know, take your hat off, be respectable, pay attention. Right. Be punctual. Right. All those things which we want in, to encourage and instill Absolutely. in individuals. And they have to have that as your father was trying to instill in you. You you've now been able to pass that on. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, you can look at what the industry has done. Back when I was in the industry, in the in the phases that I shared with you earlier, that was in the 80s. And at that time, you know, people on the machine, people were drinking. <laughs> you know, it was partying still going on. We had people, operators that couldn't work properly unless they had their Paps Blue Ribbon, legitimately. <laughs> and to see it be phased out, it makes sense. Right. So we all live and learn. And, um, and then, of course, about the apprenticeship. But going back to your initial question, <clears throat> I had the fortunate opportunity to have worked with um, submit size minority-owned companies out of the military space business, in the insurance business. And these were black men who were very aggressive. And back in the early 90s, right, when we established NAFTA, 94, Ron Brown, if you remember that before he, Secretary he was killed, of Commerce. Right. Ron Brown was very active. We were a military aerospace plating and painting company. Our largest client at the time, we do probably about a million from Allied Signal. Uh, McDonnell Douglas was another one. And then we did tin plating, gold plating. And uh, we were ISO 9002. We had developed a very good relationship with, that attracted Ron Brown's attention. And because I did some of the government relations work, obviously, you know, working in, in D.C., and then my uncle was still around, so there was a lot of tutelage there yes. in being able to get around. And so that helped me help support the company. And so ultimately, we were put in a position where we opened up a McKellador down in Juarez, Mexico in 94-95. Uh, it was good to go through the negotiation process with the Mexican government. I observed more and listened more mm -hmm. um, to the leadership. And I think you've met Al Harris yes. right during who's um, from Phoenix, uh, they end up selling the company. But we also, uh, at that time in the southeast, um, right around Tennessee, um, um, Alabama, that whole region, they were trying to recruit minority firms in. But the, the way that they were going about it is that they wanted to kind of be succinct. 
And actually, we actually transformed to an e-coding plant to support Mercedes-Benz. So it was interesting to do that, but the reason why I say going into Alabama, what I learned is that they wanted to be aggressive to enter new markets. Same with the insurance on the Branch Hernandez and Associates, Aubrey Branch, very good friend of mine and still a business partner of mine. When the economy hit us in 08 out in Las Vegas, he came to me and wanted to know, could I get him outside of Las Vegas? And I took him into Phoenix and I took him here in Ohio. We had a contract on the Horseshoe Casino on the risk side uh, in partnership with uh, Willis Corporation. But Caesars know, knew us because they were the operating partner at the time. And we're the largest minority firm. But we were very aggressive in both entities, politically. Um, we played the game hard, both sides of the aisle. Um, we were all about being aggressive, going to different neighbor, you know, different cities. But we knew how to go into each city respectfully right? and to become a part of it. And so as the economy actually hit us in 2020, um, in in uh, 2012, see, from 08 to 2012, we were still okay because of some contracts we had. Mm-hmm. But then when the city fell, the city of North Las Vegas went broke. From that standpoint, um, that's when I transitioned out from a buyout. But the point is, all the principles that I learned in, in, in going into different communities, I've always been able to provide that type of expertise two different businesses who also wanted to take their businesses and services and expand into different cities. And primarily for me, I cover Texas, uh, California, Southern California, Arizona, and Nevada. Mm-hmm. So, and that helps the, the footprint. Right. And some people, I mean, it's, it's interesting to observe clients because some will fall short. I'm having to help companies come up here to right. Cleveland. And sometimes they're not understanding what you're trying to really teach them and tell them how you really got to, you got to make a commitment. This is no joke, especially when you're stretching out east to west or mm-hmm. west to east. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but those that have succeeded, uh, you can see the, you know, you can see the joy in them right. because now they're in a different market. They never, and what I do is I help you get to the people you need to get to instead of you trying to get acquainted, take two, three years to understand what this community is about, I could do that for you very rapidly. Right. From all the years of consulting in the political arena and what have you. Sure. Stokes CLC. CLC Stokes. CLC Stokes. Group. Okay. There we go. There. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm. Do, you, do you have a website? Mm-mm. No? No. How I, do people get in, cu- in touch with you then? Well, the people, well, is really by referral mm-hmm. where people know me. Mm-hmm. And, and right now I've been spending a lot more time on the, uh, advising on political candidates as well. Mm-hmm. So how'd you get to the Southwest from Cleveland? Um, Al Harris brought me to Phoenix. Um, they had just become the new owners because his girlfriend, her father was Mr. Sitgraves, was the owner of the company, OTI Metal Finishing Military Space Corporation. So he had been working in the company. Um, they originated from Newark, New Jersey. And uh, they thought it would be a great opportunity for me to transition and learn the business and grow with the business. And so I spent about five years. Gave me a platform that allowed me to be identified from NASA, in which I was appointed to NASA's Minority Business Resource Advisory Committee. 
under Dan Golden. So, and I was a co-chair on the HBCU subcommittee. So we, uh, I worked with a team of about 20. You had to have won NASA contracts, which I had had the opportunity to do. And uh, when I was with the military space company, I was able to get us positioned. I went through their certification trainings, which was called TADSBAT Basic and advanced training courses, which teaches you how to actually bid and go after NASA contracts. And so uh, working with Boeing, we were able to get on the on one of the contracts and the CSOC contract at the time, um, in which Lockheed ended up winning. But um, through Boeing, we had some good relationships and ended up developing a rapport with Lockheed personnel. And we were able to get position to get on the contract. So I spent two terms with them before rolling off when Sean O'Keefe came over from OMB and became the new administrator, and then I rolled off. Mm -hmm. You'd spent some time in California prior to that, college days? Oh, yeah. I don't know when. Um, Basketball. Point Nazarene University. In San Diego? Two. Right. Beautiful campus, and um, went from there, and it got into my career. So Gus Hoyas tells me that uh, he oh, schooled Lord, you a few times. Lord have mercy. <laughs> yeah, he always tells the George Rivers story, as we say. And he was, Gus is, um, it shows you a little bit of diversity. We didn't have many Hispanics in school, but Gus was someone everyone loved and respected. And, you know, he was able to come hang out with the brothers. Mm -hmm. Out in California? No, this is here in, in Cleveland. Cleveland. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. where he schooled Cordell. Yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the court. I, I let him go ahead and just talk, you know. But I'm very proud of what Gus has been doing and his advocacy as he has grown into his career. Obviously, we're much older now, I mean, but um, I've been able to observe him from afar and up close where we've worked with him on some things. Mm -hmm. So respect what he has um, taken on and, and um, continue to grow. So a glo global question, or somewhat global, um, diversity in construction, right? Both workforce and um, business side. I mean, what have you seen from a Cleveland standpoint in terms of the opportunities for uh, minorities, Hispanic, African-American, uh, to enter the industry? And, you know, what, what thoughts would you have to share with um, the, the industry, the community, right? Be it business owners, uh, owners of construction to owners of businesses to individuals looking from an industry standpoint, what, where are you seeing uh, opportunity and or challenges? And where is there opportunity for us to work more closely together to make some advancements? <clears throat> well, Glenn, first of all, I always say this. We're in a 50-plus percent city. I know we don't have the equating number of minority contractors, but I hate to be in a city where we keep talking about diversity and inclusion and not meeting the goals in a primarily dominated black town. You have black congresswoman, you have black mayor, you got many black city council, state reps, state senate, and we're still talking about diversity and inclusion. And I hate to see what transpired with the Fannie Lewis law, in which I commend you all's advocacy and, and efforts to support what some of the Republicans have tried to do in um, overturning it and what have you from the state side. Keep up the fight there because that was very instrumental. Uh, when Fannie took the lead to help establish that, that is important. 
And he's, you're talking about the residents in construction right. local hiring right. Absolutely. mandate in Cleveland. Yep. Some, and I only mention that because Clevelanders will know what you're talking about, but there's listeners from Absolutely. all over the world that listen to this, and, and I'm not sure why people in Panama listen, but shout out to you who's listening in Pan- <laughs> Panama. I know you're out there. <laughs> That's great. So you're worldwide now, huh? I guess. All right. I guess. <laughs> and this is a great evolution of what you're doing, the podcast. Well, it's fun to get mm-hmm. to talk to people, and uh, I think it's a good way to, to have others who are not able to spend the time with you that we can spend right now 45 minutes already, mm-hmm. get to know you a little bit um, remote, sure. remotely. Mm-hmm. Also, the thing here with CEA, I like the the establishment of CAA, Contractors Assistance Association. And I think it was Dominic Ozan, the one of the founders? Yes. Okay. That's visionary. We just hope that these contractors, in partnership with CEA, and we're talking about on the union side, right, can continue to help push and include at least your membership, given those opportunities. Now, what are some of the issues that impact us of being able to be successful? Bonding, the ability to sustain yourself, within the union contracting industry um, as a contractor, um, being a part of a union, trades and what have you, maintaining the ability to sustain payroll until you can get paid, um, quality contract, I mean, quality personnel, what have you. So there's still a lot, but that's the benefit of what you guys do at CEA, that if you want to be successful, obviously at the end of the day, it's going to fall on you as an owner. Mm. But you guys have created a platform of various trainings, not just OSHA. You guys bring in uh, insurance. You bring in people talking about investments. I mean, bonding. You go across the whole spectrum. And if you're a member of this organization, the company that we'll talk to after this, um, that Mayor Annette Blackwell referred to me to try and help, um, Maybe we can get them into it, and maybe this might not have been the issue. It, because if that company, who is was viable, with several trucks, had been a part of this organization, there could have been advocacy provided that individual, some direction. Maybe we've been able to um, avoid where we are today in having a conversation. So that's you know that's a benefit to our minority companies as well, and it's good to see the Adrian Maldonados, mm-hmm. and in particular what they're doing just on the grassroots side, um, where they're taking it under their own arm, uh, into their own hands. Mm-hmm. They're not waiting on elected officials. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, out west we've seen where we've had to, in fact, like in Arizona, we don't have diversity, but the governor, who's a Republican, a businessman, he has put in place different individuals who if I had, you know, if I needed to take a company out there, I could call the governor's office to this particular person, Barry Wong, or Clovis Campbell in the governor's office down in another component of the state to try and help minority firms get involved in the contracting in Arizona. Las Vegas, we have stuff implemented within the legislative requirement after 08, and we work very closely within the infrastructure of, of um, elected officials. Diversity is a requirement, and they're going to do everything possible. Everybody understands that, and that's what we have to have here. 
mm-hmm. and we shouldn't have anything less. But we continue to hear from people about not having an opportunity. Now, everybody's story is not always as clear as when they tell it. Right. But the point is, uh, we're never going to eradicate this issue, but we can continue to try and advocate and put things in place to minimize it. Well, it seems seems like there's a big misperception in the greater public about what it takes to be a success in construction because, you know, it seems like it, it's a pretty simple industry. You can see it, you can feel it, you, you see things get built, and he's like, well, you add that to that, and you get the building, you, you know, put these pieces together, you get a building. Uh, I can I can understand that fairly straightforward, but as we know in the industry, it's it's a complex um, industry to try to grow a business in. You, you can't just grow up overnight and have a million dollar contract tomorrow. Absolutely, um, because then you have to cash flow that you have to pay meet payroll, you have to meet your fringe benefits, you have to pay your material suppliers, and if your project doesn't pay you for sixty days until you know after you complete you're several months into it and you're however many hundreds of thousand dollars um, out the door without having a lot of money set aside. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it without being rich already. Absolutely. Um, The industry is complex. It's not easy. I mean, it may, someone may find themselves with a great opportunity, right? A million dollar contract or something larger than they really can consume, but that may not be the wisest thing, right? So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of firms and companies that in our 10, 12 years of CAA existence here at CEA that, you know, they uh, always want the big contract and maybe it's the more consistent project work, right? That, that could add up to a million dollars, but it's not trying to consume a million dollars or more all at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, because Tim, I think you're right. The, the, the cash flow, the bonding, the retention, uh, the payroll, all those requirements, you know, up front, as well as then fulfilling safety and other uh, project requirements. And uh, we work in a very sophisticated uh, industry that has a lot of coordination. So you got to have timing of all your assets lined up, right, from mm-hmm. workforce to financing, um, as well as management oversight. And so our ability to maybe help uh, Cordell, as you described, uh, contractors understand it and counsel them or at least offer another perspective. Everybody's not going to follow it, um, you know, and everybody's free to kind of go to direction in which they want. But we're really trying to provide some assistance and some resource or here's another person you can talk to who may not be competing with you but can offer uh, an opinion and a perspective. And uh, there are a lot of classes in education and some people say, well, education isn't sexy. It isn't attractive, right? We, mm-hmm. We've heard that aspect and respect that. Um, we can't award any contracts because it's not mm-hmm. any part of what CA does, but can we position a company for success? Yes, we can. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? Through you know, building your capacity, helping you understand some of the pitfalls and success attributes, uh, creating some relationships that could lend to collaboration and working together or extension of a of an opportunity but that's based on a relationship that the individual companies have not based on cea's ability to make that happen right we'll provide the forum we'll connect you but you have to make the most of it and uh, especially in associations you get what you what you give and uh, if you engage then you're 
you have the potential to make the most of it out of your membership. But if, if you just join and expect things to show up on your doorstep, that's, you know, that's not realistic. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, it is a relationship business. I mean, you have the legacy companies like on the, on the uh, black side, you have Ozan's family who are legacy. You have Cook's Paving and Construction, um, um, the grandfather who began mm-hmm. uh, the organization. Now they, Keith has branched down to RER Contracting. Um, you have Tony Panzeca. Now you have Mark Panzeca coming up the line to take Don't forget Macy, who started it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, McTech, of course, another thing. But... Um, but then here's at the end of the day. You Tony's going to appreciate being on the black side of it. Oh, no, I mean, I mean yeah, that's right. I was talking more legacy, right? But he's an honorary. Yeah. yeah. He, oh, he got his badge. <laughs> no, he's good people. Good people. He's part of that FBI, Tim. Right, right. Mark is good. His son, um, always very engaging, always enjoy him. But at the end of the day, if you want to get into this industry, you're going to have to deal with all the variables. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to do like an area Kirkpatrick, who started at the lowest level of doing what I think she might have been doing, but demolition. Construction cleanup. Construction cleanup. And now she has a multi-million dollar business, I imagine, or at least on the verge, various different uh, business divisions. Mm-hmm. She worked it. And she got out there, developed the relationships, and um, performed the work because at the end of the day, this type industry – you know, when a company gets a project like 480, where Walsh is, if they know Linville Construction and they know Shoemake Construction for the last five years have always been Johnny on the spot to get done whatever your your requirement of that mm-hmm. contract is, it's hard to have a Stokes uh, construction say, hey, I want to get in too. <laughs> well, I don't have a relationship with you. You know, what have mm-hmm. you done? But, you know, at the end of the day, you need to do that job on time Get it done and move on to the next. It's a business decision. Mm. And so that's why I think using the various avenues provided by a CEA association and working within a CAA association and networking and, and you know, towing the line. Right. And then chips fall, let the chips fall where they may. Yep. But when there's out, outright discriminatory practices, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's various ways to approach change, <clears throat> and um, having advocates, right? Those who can bring light and who are willing to put themselves in the forefront and uh, be spokespersons for and create uh, opportunities for others is something which is positive, right? So even in a political to a business uh, sense or industry sense, that many cases you need uh, individuals who are willing to. Uh, put themselves in the forefront and um, speak to needed concerns and hopefully have some receptivity to those concerns being shared. I think CAA uh, has really found itself trying to be that solution, right? So how can we help build capacity among minority contractors? How can we help identify um, opportunities that they can help be solutions to the need and fulfill demand? CA by itself can't do it, but I think we can continue to see growth and increase. You know, we talk about CA now, and it's going on its 12th year, 11th year. Um, you know, we started with two companies, uh, Coniglio Construction and Ozan Construction being the only two oh, minority. 
CAA, CEA members back then. Uh, today, CAA has 36, 37, and growing a uh, number of uh, interested firms. Part of that to me is, Tim, as you talk about the association point, right? So now you have uh, a group of members that we need to service. <laughs> and their needs as small businesses may not be the same as large contractors. And so how can we provide resources and help grow their capacity, their education, their training, their capacity, their relationships to the extent that they can be more viable today than where our industry was 10 years ago. So whatever that, you know, we don't have exact science or industry, right, about a person's business capacity or, you know, we talk about if there's $2 billion worth of work in greater Cleveland and there's a 15% minority set aside, is there $300 million worth of capacity within the minority community? True. Uh, you know, we probably all shake our heads and say no, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's no, I don't have the the answer whether or not that's true or not. But when we do the survey and we talk to and, and look at those individual firms that might be able to fulfill capacity, we can't identify $300 million that can be banked and payrolled and financed and bonded among minority companies. Some will say that in the 70s and 80s, there were a lot more minority contractors, right, that, that were around and doing multi-million dollars worth a year of work, but they didn't transition from the 70s and 80s to today. True. Um, so part of what we're talking about is a generational aspect we spoke of earlier, from the majority to the majority. I mean, it's all the same process, right? That's, that's part of the frustration. I mean, on my, on my part is your point, Glenn, about the $300 million is what... If all those targets were met, 15% targets were met, $300 million of business. Well, Tim, the community in some sense says that they are being met, right? And I'm not sure where or how. Well, (laughs) I don't know of any of them that haven't been met officially, I mean, from what they've said. From what they said, right. Um, From what anybody said, really. But then when uh, Griffin and Strong, who does disparity studies, they're, they're from Atlanta, when they come into Cuyahoga County to do another disparity study, what they're going to be told by the small business community, by the minority, minority business community, might be, I don't know what they've been told, but it might be that we still lack opportunity. Uh, even though $300 million worth of work on paper has gone to minority companies. So how can that be, how can both things be true? And to me, it's a problem with the system. Right. The system has this, this percentage requirement or, or target, even if it's good faith, efforts that uh, then people who put it in place, maybe get a pat on the back for doing, you know, way to go. You, you delivered something to a constituency that, that needs it. Then when it comes time to actually getting the benefit of that $300 million, something is a disconnect. There's mm-hmm. some disconnect there in the system. That contract that says you have a 15% target doesn't actually make it happen. And there's, there's probably lots of gaps between the, the contract being signed with the 15% in it and success on the ground. But, I mean, th- there's a systemic problem with this whole thing. And, and uh, we can do what we know to do and we'll continue to advocate. I mean, advocating for better um, payment conditions, getting small businesses paid sooner. Well, that's while a big piece too, while right? protecting the uh, construction manager's interest in delivering the project that Absolutely. he was that he promised or he or she promised that's things that we'll continue to advocate but until people actually realize that putting it on paper that you're going to award 15% to a 
a, a, a needy constituency or an under underserved contractor constituency doesn't actually make it happen. You see it, you know it, and you really just try to go back on the other side of what's the solution. How can we build capacity with the minority and the small business firms? How can you create relationships and help inform and get the minority firms that we know invited to the opportunity table, share the information with them about Tri-C or Cleveland Library or Metro Health or Cleveland Clinic are looking for, and here's the process. Here's how you do business. Here's how you get engaged and involved. So as much as we talk about on the workforce side, here's how you get connected to a apprenticeship program. A large part of our effort with CAA has been, here's how you do business with fill in the blank in terms of the owner community. And some of that is, here's what you're going to need to be successful, right? You're going to need to be bonded. You're going to need to have safety procedures in place. We can help you with those things right? if, if you're willing to extend yourself in the other ways. And I got to imagine it's tough as a contractor seeing all the headlines because these, these contracts get headlines. Right. Um, you know, they see these headlines of sure. $300 million in aggregate. The headlines produce $300 million of business that I could, right. I could have an inside track to or I could get a, a leg up to try to get some of that. So it's, it's got to be hard to say, well, no, I'm going to stick to my plan, which is incrementally growing my business mm-hmm. when I see all these huge contracts being awarded that I'm actually being asked to bid on. You know, Tim reminds me, and Cordell, not to cut uh, you off, uh, certainly mm-hmm. with our conversation we had with one of our CAA members the other week, right, about, I don't know if this is the right industry for me. <laughs> I, I could, my margins are probably better somewhere else. Right. Mm. I mean, a successful carpentry company that's been around for 10 years or so and has seen great growth working in a number of different segments, healthcare to K-12 to, you know, private work. And, you know, sort of says, Hey, this is tough. And he's a, he's a card carrying union carpenter, right. And started that way and, you know, had some tutelage working with other companies and has found success, but, you know, he's, talked about other opportunities that may be more mm-hmm. advantageous and said, I don't know why I do this. Right. Wasn't I, that? I think yeah. I've heard our largest contractor representative say the same thing. <laughs> sure. Right, right. <laughs> I think overall, what's going to have to happen is it's going to have to be what we call a trickle down effect. So you take Ronald Reagan in a sense, but not yet. But <laughs> in this sense, you take like Metro hospital really working to push it. And that's what has to happen in our industry. We have to really have the turners and, the other major primes, to really make it very clear, you will reach these goals. And if you can't, it better be a good, a good enough reason as to why. Right. I, I, I understand. I agree with that. But I also think that there's a lot more to it than the goals, the targets. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, re- because we've been reaching all the goals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Not whether, every time, but in, in a name, lot of times. Name one. Well, no, I'm just saying we're talking about worldwide. I'm yeah, talking about just, true, true. I'm just talking about, I'm not saying that you're not. I'm just saying that the, yeah. the goal itself is easy to, easy to deliver on, easier to deliver on than actually having a system set up that provides incentives to all the different levels it needs to provide incentives towards actually building a business or allowing a, a business to build itself because it's not – the industry's job. It's not Turner's job to build uh, a specialty contractor that will work for them. But to, if, if a, a public owner or private owner that's cares enough to implement targets towards minority businesses, if they care enough to do that, then presumably they want that to work. 
to help build capacity among that community, among that community of owner business owners. So let's create some systems that incentivize all the players to make that work. Other than not just you're going to get punished if you don't, if you don't meet our target percentage number, but what are the processes that needs to happen in order to allow that business to build itself? Well, here's, here's where I think, whether or not if there's no contract that is in existence or has been over the last several years that you have not met the goals, I think what our concern really is, are you in a position to broaden the base and utilize of more minority contractors? Because you can easily hit goals by just using the same people that you know. Mm-hmm. But to really help the community, are you in a position or are we able to actually increase the capacity of numbers of u- utilized minority firms. And sometimes that goes right back to, do they have the bonding capacity? Are they even union? Are they this or that? So it's not that th- there's not a true effort. Going back to the disparity study conversation, and this is for public entities that want to have targeted set-asides for, for minority business opportunities. We've had nobody publicly in any way not meet their goals with this $2 billion of activity. Mm -hmm. Yet what the disparity studies often produce is more targets, not really other programs to supplement a target or to make a target actually be effective. That's what we really need. We don't need more targets. We need more programs to make a target work. Or, or even if we don't have targets, what are the programs that will actually produce success or allow a company to build itself it's not the target that's not the but that's what gets the headline sure so remember the march 17th study that was done by uh, dick pogue and dennis flafferty a dozen years ago one of the focuses of that year study that uh, uh, dick pogue and um, uh, you know found or they look for were what were the barriers to success and i think we really haven't I think we've gotten away from what those barriers are and trying to find the solutions to those barriers. And that effort was, you know, nine, 10 years ago, eight to 10 years ago, and probably is worth our industry and community going back and looking at what were those barriers then, where are they at now and how to how the solutions to those artificial barriers. And I think they labeled them and there were 10 to 12 that they identified and bonding was one and prompt pay was one. And some of those other aspects, Tim, that we, talk about and advocate for with public officials. But that capacity issue of small businesses is also there. And are you structured right or compensated? It can't be three men in a truck, right? That's not going to fulfill the million dollar projects. We don't have that capacity. We may be able to, again, as you said earlier, be successful in getting a contract, but whether or not we can fulfill all the terms and conditions and requirements is another story. And so how do we help ensure that there is greater success and that's not our whose responsibility is that it's, it's no one except the business who wants to establish himself. Bless you. Well, as a matter of fact, you know who would be good to have on is Andrew Jackson because he was right in the midst of that transition, mm-hmm. right? And I was still traveling in and out of town. But, but Tim, just going back to our point again, the industry business is is ugly in itself. That if you're in business, you're in to make money. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, I don't want to be held accountable for diversity and inclusion. I, I just want to work. 
let me finish it. However I get it done, if I do it right, pay me, and I'm moving on. But that's not really what society is all about. And it's not necessarily on the turners and them to actually incorporate these practices and all that, although you want them to be a part of the process. That's why we elect leaders to political office, to care for the needs of the constituencies. Within a federal capacity, you have certain responsibility, local, etc. And then the implementation of trying to strengthen those communities, business, within the social service arena, and what have you. But what we're coming back to is, in partnership with all these organizations, which has been taking place, I mean, under Governor Kasich, they did a very good job of really including businesses within the state procurement system, in many ways exceeding the goals. Was there no problems? Of course not. But what we had to have happen, which did happen, um, and I, I saw it firsthand being a consultant to DSA through the Urban League. Uh, Kasich's appointees like Chief Jeffrey Johnson, who's a brother, and his other team members, they were not handcuffed during the time I was around to try and incorporate their vision to achieve the overall arching goal, which was to build up the strength and capacity of businesses to compete and be awarded, right? And so we did see many successes. So House Bill 584, right, mm-hmm. which was the state minority procurement opportunity, was put in place in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So for 30 years, that 15% goal had never been met until Governor Kasich basically said to his cabinet, each department is responsible for fulfilling that. That's right. right. Kent State's another example of success where... President Lefton said, and then empowered the vice president of uh, finance administration to go around to meet with each division, each department, be it athletics or academics. How are you going to meet that goal? What are you going to do to contribute? You understand? And I think made it part of the evaluation of, of those department heads. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how you got buy-in. And again, so you're seeing goals in certain cases being fulfilled and met mm-hmm. that had never been met for 30 years. It didn't mean that they couldn't meet them. It just meant that there had not been that necessarily concerted effort or, in many cases, what we sometimes say, the intentionality, right? So we can say what we will about affirmative action. For me, affirmative action is the intentional effort mm-hmm. to find success or to fulfill, you know, a goal that a public official, that the the community and others uh, have advocated for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it should be reasonable, Right. As much as we talk about, again, the Cleveland residency or the state residency laws and those things, our position has always been the reasonableness of it. And mm-hmm. if it's a fair opportunity. And right. I think that's the that's where we have to continue to look. There are always going to be good actors and bad actors, as we, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes label it and be it that that's a, an owner or a contractor or a subcontractor or a worker. Right. You need good individuals who are willing to fulfill uh, the needed requirements and intentions uh, that may be established. Right. And you go back, former Congressman Perrin Mitchell, father of small business. Some of the public laws they were implemented through his sponsorship um, was there. That's a, a need of elected officials. When my father took over City Hall in 67, people were being lynched around the country still, right? Discriminatory. But he had to come in 
force all the white folks that were coming to the table from banks to bring in black lawyers or black representatives, establishment of EEO. You have to have leaders set the price. Now, at the end of the day, you as a business owner have to take advantage of it. But we continue to need our leaders to put in place um, certain legislation or certain programs to help at least um, level the playing field to some standpoint, mm-hmm. right, and um, and go from there. But then at the end of the day, a great example, you know, I saw this in Las Vegas and Phoenix, the progression of Hispanic L.A., when they now have a, they had the first Hispanic mayor elected years ago, they've always had a dominant population. But the thing is that they weren't, they weren't together, mm-hmm. and they weren't all active. You know, they weren't voting in a block. When they did that, now you have, you had an elected first Hispanic mayor of a major city of Los Angeles, and so I can tell you this, my uncle. He was one of the very few cardinals which in Congress, which means he was the um, chair of appropriations for HUD, veterans, and independent agencies, which included NASA. And in particular, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in the military aerospace business, I flew to D.C. for a NASA meeting, and the deputy administrator at that time Ralph Thomas, who went to school at Harvard with Dominic Ozan, he was a brother. He was a second in command. Uh, on the sidebar, he told me, he says, you're not going to get too far with this company that I was targeting. Because my uncle had already told them from NASA here, NASA Glenn, mm-hmm. that you are going to incorporate diversity inclusion and in whatever that contract was. And they actually pulled the contract. So... They weren't very happy, and I, I certainly didn't go introduce myself to them. I already had, but that's where your leadership comes into play. When you said your uncle was one of the few, very few cardinals, what's a cardinal? Was chairing? He chaired three committees. Appropriations. That, and they call those cardinals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, all the money he's put toward. I mean, this man has buildings named after him all around oh, the yeah. country, For sure. and that's because he committed to, you know trying to put in place things that from a social standpoint and economic uh, platforms that you as a business owner or as a resident or constituent can take advantage of that might not have been put in place before. Mm -hmm. And that's all we could ask. And then you hope that those other larger entities that are going to be a part of that process, well, like I said, the trickle down, make sure that access is granted. In a levied way. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we're an hour and 23 minutes into it by oh, now. Oh, so, uh, okay. We should wrap it up. But I appreciate you coming on. We'll have to do it again sometime. Sure. No, I appreciate Anything, it. Anything, any parting words you want to No, leave? I just, you know, again, people looking from the outside in, nothing is perfect within this industry that you all are representing. But what I can say is that I am very appreciative and, um, and I also, you know, look at CEA, your leadership, the board. Uh, again, not everything is perfect, but I really do appreciate, and I always will support you guys, that I know underneath the hood, you guys are actually trying to do things to help better not only society in this industry, but also to be able to help create a platform by which um, 
minority firms can um, take advantage of and hopefully be successful. And the last thing I just want to allude to is that while we talk about all the major entities that we did, it still sometimes comes down to people like Adrian Maldonado and the Spanish American Committee to say, uh, Al Sanchez, say, this is what we're going to do with or without you. And care for your own community and uplift them. And then everyone else falls right in place. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, that's about it. Appreciate it. And um, it's been a great dialogue with the two of you. Yeah, likewise. So, Tim, the last comment I'd share is about the perception of the, the construction industry being the savior for the economy, right? Or, mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily an accurate portrayal, but the industry seems to be targeted as, you know, we're some of the goals and mandates or expectations that fall on the construction industry are not in place in other industries without calling them out. I mean, we Mm -hmm. can look at other growth industries in Cleveland and I continue to say, and I don't have the statistical anecdotal data on this, but I can't think of another industry in certainly in Cleveland where you could point to the number of minority businesses, in this case, contractors Mm -hmm. that are doing a million dollars or $10 million. Right. So, if it's manufacturing or if it's healthcare or if it's IT and technology, right? Three growth areas that our community continues to look at. Can we find another industry that could say there are a dozen or 20 MBE and FBE companies that are doing $10 million a year worth of work? Can we identify another industry that could say there's eight to 10 companies that are doing $50 million a year in work? I don't think there is except mm-hmm. construction. Mm-hmm. Right. But I don't. Good point. But somehow we don't get positively characterized for that. We get negatively characterized for the things we aren't necessarily allegedly doing. Right. Well, we'll continue working on it. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.